Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything, and I mean simply everything, even the most unexpected of subjects, has a history. Like... Patches, pots and pitches. Potion potatoes. Yes, it's everything to do with the letter P. Or... Oranges, orangutans, oddities, awful offers, bedifferousness, and olives. Yep, you've guessed it. Everything to do with the letter... Oh. oh, thank you, Sam. Interesting. I didn't know letters of the alphabet had histories, but of course Oh, we they could do, do alphabets. Oh, I'd love to do alphabets. Let's do that. We'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of mothers, the history of mothers... Hello, Mum. Uh, it's your birthday this weekend. Mm. Um, happy birthday. We've just had Mother's um, Day as well. We have. Uh, it's all about medals, hair-pulling... And Nazi Germany. Although the history of relics is in fact all about mountains, fraudulence, mm. and the history of long walks. Oh, and lying. Relics is brilliant. We're going to do relics, aren't we, soon? We um, are. Love the, relics. The man sitting opposite me is the Alexander Graham Bell of the historical telephone. <laughs> <laughs> it's Professor James brilliant. Dayville. Hello, brilliant. James. Hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the... Raj of the record office. <laughs> That's <It's> great. <laughs> the truly wonderful uh, historical adventurer of fame, of note, Thank you, uh, Dr. Sam Willis. Um, each week we, we kind of come up with a plan and try and talk through it. And last week we had so much fun talking about shrinking that we're going to carry on talking about we shrinking. We spent the whole time talking about miniatures, which I was not prepared for one bit. No, but it was worthwhile but... doing. Um, Tudor, so we, we spent the whole time talking about Tudor miniature portraits and so uh, just to recap the Tudors became very good at um, embracing the tiny in life and they did all these wonderfully wonderfully small very intricate um, fabulous little portraits so if you want to listen to that that were all over the place we talked about Drake's Jewel we talked about the Phoenix imagery for Elizabeth I which is all about Virginity, rebirth, yep. flames, and we talked about um, the using them as a source for other things. So that yes. what, what is depicted on them helps us understand things. So there's the African bust in the Drake Jewel. There's the melancholy man we talked about, and um, with all of the the buildings behind yep. him and all the clothes he was wearing and his gloves and his hat. The procession of Elizabeth. We talked about how they were these were private items, yep. so often sentimental, 
um, uh, very intimate. What we didn't talk about, yes. which I was going to talk about, was shrunken heads. Yes! I had one of my favourite museums in the whole wide world. This is what a museum should be like, all you modern, newfangled uh, places. Museums, I love them. But the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford is amazing it's it's a collection of craziness it's a collection of craziness it's a it's a it's an authentic um 19th century anthropological yeah. museum come natural history museum yeah. i think it's better than the natural history museum in london though i love it yeah because it is it's smaller yeah. and you can get up up pretty close and they haven't sort of disnified it in the way that they have the dinosaur exhibit. So it's you have the skeletons there. I mean, they're probably all fakes. Yeah. Um, but I, I had a recent trip, took my, my daughters there, and it's full of all sorts of things, including fleas. We're going to do something on the history of the flea, including yep. tiny little fleas dressed up in, in outfits of clothes. Yep. But one of the highlights and what it's known for is its collection of shrunken heads. What is a shrunken head? A shrunken head. Is, well, would you like to know how to? I will. I will tell you. A shrunken head is basically a you chop somebody's head off and you shrink it. So um, with magic. With no, 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 no. If you want to, so it, it is a. I can think about it in all sorts of different ways. So the the shrunken heads that they have are from Amazonian tribes that yeah. collected during the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. And these these tribes would collect the heads of their enemies. Yeah. So once they'd attacked them, killed them, they'd take it off. Yeah. And by possessing the head, you would basically possess the soul and power of that person. And you would stop any kind of vendetta. Yeah. Do you want to know how to shrink a head? Okay. So... If you shrink a head... So these shrunken heads, they're actual human heads. They are actual human yeah, they're heads. They're not pretend heads. They are not, not pretend animal heads. heads. They, they are, are people's heads. They are proper... So this is about... They're kind of the size of a grapefruit. Honestly. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and people have been have been decapitating and shrinking heads for a long time, even in our sceptered isle. You think about the Tower of London and Traitor's Gate and heads yep. put on that. So how to shrink a head... Um, first, uh, you kill someone. <laughs> I, um, hopefully, hopefully you kill someone. This is a great you, list. You decapitate them. Yeah. You remove the skull from the head. You make an incision in the back of the neck and you remove the flesh. You then put seeds under the eyes. You sew the lips shut. Um, and And then you take away the fat. And then you put a wooden ball inside the head, like a sort of wooden shape, yeah. round shape inside the head, so that it basically keeps its okay. keeps its shape. Like a papier-mâché balloon. Because you are then going to boil it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you need all of these features. You then boil it yeah. uh, you know, for a period of time. Um, and then you dry the head with hot rocks. Okay. And, then, and at that point, you shape it. Okay, so so it's heat. It's a heat-based heat. shrinking. Yes, and you would you would wear it around your neck on special occasions, and there are various sort of festivals and rituals where tribesmen who who had killed the the person mm -hmm. would have this. And if you wore it over a period of time, it was thought that the power of the dead person would pass to his killers. Um, 
and we see it through you know it was practiced throughout the the, the 19th 19th century uh and you can in fact you can in fact buy them today you can buy real you can heads. buy them online i was just doing a little bit of scooting around the internet that must be illegal there we are shut up yes oh my god yes look at these so they're all sort the thing is that people because people traded in these um and so in order to get the in order to get a ready market yeah. for it you either needed you either needed to go out and kill a load more people or you use monkey heads and goat heads and you know and yeah. i imagine a lot of the heads on the market today so these guys are, are selling I, w- I won't advertise where they're being sold but they're selling genuine and legally acquired human shrunken heads how do you legally acquire a human shrunken head? I mean, obviously, if it's an artifact that is there, or you know, if, it's it, if, it's, if it's been done, but how can you age it? You'll have to age it to prove that it wasn't done last Wednesday on some kind of unsuspecting person. This is like body snatching, isn't it? The it history is. of body snatching. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this ama- is... I'm amazed by this. Real shrunken heads, RSH. <laughs> Isn't it great? Oh my God. You need one. You said in the last episode that you wanted a raven. I think you should have a, a raven and a shrunken head okay. in here. Can I have a shrunken raven? You have a shrunken raven head. The... <laughs> that would be really weird. Okay, but this raises the interesting question of how they got to the Pitt Rivers Museum. Yes, anthropologists. Right, so let's just think about that. So, so 19th century anthropologists who toured the world, picking up interesting artefacts bringing them back so they're people who are interested in indigenous cultures and the museum is stuffed full of all sorts of things uh, it's part natural history museum part brilliant anthropological yeah, yeah. collection so it's full of pipes and pens and all sorts of things like that um i think the question so people is people traveling for, a, people, for knowledge people traveling for as missionaries pe- people travel people travel these are people traveling for research so they're anth- they're oxford based anthropologists who are traveling for research they're doing their research visiting these these communities these oh, okay, tribes right, right. around the world and they're bringing back their artifacts in order to put them on display but also to study them yeah and it becomes a sort of museum or an anthropological museum of that kind of that life the big ethical issue is is it right for museums today to have these kinds of objects that have been taken from indigenous peoples? Yeah. And so what you find is a lot of museums are in touch with the present-day tribes. It, this is something you see with Native American artefacts all the time as well. You know, in that in the, what you have is you are... You, are, you have basically appropriated, taken a, an indigenous people's artefacts and culture... Um, so there's a lot. The British Museum is 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 sort of heavily into this. There's a lot of negotiation. Um, things are repatriated back to where they came from, um, but also often there is a there is a pretty a good relationship between the museum and between uh, different peoples. Um, but it is it is a it is a it, you know it's an ongoing issue that museums have to deal with yeah. today. Um, the kids loved it. Bet they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I j- just while we were thinking about that, I reached over and I grabbed a book which sits by my desk all the time, and it is this book. Ah, Moby Dick. I have returned to Moby Dick oh. several times in this podcast. I can't remember why, but um, but- I've decided that Herman Melville has basically been my inspiration for histories of the unexpected. Because really, well, he's written a book about the whale. 
And yep. it's, the book is full of the most amazing stuff that he's interested in. And um, there's shrunken heads in that. There's something? a shrunken head in yep. this. Oh, there are yep. several. No, there's a harpooner. There's a harpooner. Yeah, yeah. Queequeg. Qu- 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 Tell me about Queequeg. Queequeg is the cannibal harpooner who Ishmael, to the main character, uh, meets. Um, and on their first meeting, I think he's come back from a day of selling shrunken heads. Has he? At market, a, yes. A day of selling... <laughs> wow, okay. So, so which sort of... I mean, I was thinking about how that works in the novel, you know, and it's obviously the kind of... You know, it obviously adds a sort of certain element to the book that yeah. you've got this sort of cra- you know this sort of this sort of slightly dangerous sort of cannibal character oh i've just found it in the book were you going to read this out no 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 okay. no i have um, nothing on it except this is the, i just this remembered is the that. landlord um so the guy is, is there he's trying to find a harpooner and the landlord's been i just been telling you about a um <laughs> a harpooner who arrived from the South Seas, and he brought up a lot of balmed, as in embalmed, New Zealand heads. Great couriers, you know, and he sold on them but one, and that one he's trying to sell tonight, because tomorrow's Sunday, and it would be no good selling human heads about the streets when folks is going to churches. He wanted to last Sunday, but I stopped him, just as he was going out the door, with four heads strung on a string, for all the earth like a string of onions. <laughs> How good's that? Um, I'm, I'm so sure there you are. There's, um, there's Harry what? Potter, Harry Potter, and the night bus. The night bus. I think the driver of the night bus has a has a shrunken head. Oh well, like swinging from around. the mirror, yeah, like a, like a taxi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> voiced, voiced by Lenny Henry, I think. So, where have these shrunken heads in the pit rivers come from? They've come from uh, the Amazon. It's the Amazon. Um, so, so Amazon, uh, northwest Amazonian rainforest. So, we've so got the Shuar, the Shuar tribes of Ecuador. And Peru, huh, okay, um, where they've come from. But this one is obviously to do with New Zealand or the Pacific yep. Islanders yep. as well. I wonder. I wonder I'm where sure else. The, these are pra- these are practices. Is it an Indian thing as these well. Are... Don't know. Don't know. Hmm. Need to find that out. Yeah, I think it's a process that's hap- You know, that happens. I mean, the, the examples that I've come across before are associated with Ecuador and Peru, so Latin American, South American. Uh, countries and their various sort of tribes, uh, the Shuar, the Akuar, uh, Huambisa, and the Agura, Aguaruna tribes. Aguaruna, wow. <laughs> this is testing my uh, linguistic dexterity here. I just found the description of um, Herman Melville's description, well, Ishmael describes it, describes Queequeg. It describes his face as of a dark purplish yellow colour. Sorry, just to recap, this is the harpooner who is a cannibal from the Pacific Islands who Ishmael recruits to be the harpooner on the ship to go and hunt down the whale. And when he first meets him, he describes him as having a face of a dark purplish yellow colour. Having any purple and yellow sounds bruised. Here and there, stuck over with large blackish looking squares. Uh, later on, he realises the marks are tattoos. Ah, we're going to do tattoos. There was no hair on his head, none to speak of at least, nothing but a small scalp knot twisted up on his forehead. His bald purplish head now looked for all the world like a mildewed skull. Ooh. Uh, upon disrobing, because they're sharing a room, Ishmael describes his body in this way. He says, 
Um, he at last showed his chest and arms. As I live, these covered parts of him were checkered with the same squares. He seemed to have been in a 30 years war and just escaped from it with a sticker plaster shirt. Still more, his legs were marked as if a parcel of dark green frogs were running up the trunks of young palms. That's why Herman Melville is so good. You have no idea where he's going to go next. <laughs> where are you going to go next after oh, um, after shrinking? Put you on the spot. We are not shrinking, after shrunken heads. After so shrunken I, heads. I was going to talk about this on when we were doing our Tudor, our Tudor shrinking. So yes. I'm going to do uh, talk very briefly about uh, something. I need to show you something. Okay. Show me. Here, Sam reaches for the biggest book in the whole world. Is this um, one of your books? One of my books. <laughs> one of my massive, my massive. Oh, your fighting be- ships. Books. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Is that a Viking? Yeah, that's a that's Viking the... dragon head it is, on the yeah. back. Yeah. Did we talk about that when we did our podcast mm. on dragons? Yes, I think we did. I think we did. Okay, here we go. Uh... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, I would like you, it's going to be quite difficult because we have limited space. Ah, look at this. So, oh my gosh. So, what we there have There are two here, particular things. I want to, yeah, just describe the first so big one. And we the have one. a ship plan here. Don't so, that. we have a very, well, this is a manuscript page, uh, sort of late 16th century, and we've got some, uh, if I would have a ship by this uh, place to be made, the witch should uh, blah, 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 blah. So it's basically instructions for making the making a ship. You've got the description of how to do it, I imagine, at the top, and then a diagram or plan of how to make a ship. And then, so that's the that's the main insert. Oh, we should take a thick picture of this. Ooh, the bottom one's amazing. That bottom picture. So have a good look. The at tiny that. little bottom picture is a it is a wood panelled room with a desk in front of it with green bays on it and what looks like a master shipwright um, with a large 
Is that a compass he's holding? Like dividers. Dividers. Yeah. Um, and a, and what looks like an apprentice, a series of measuring tools. Yeah. And a in front of them, they are working on a plan of a ship. So for someone who's interested in desks and paper oh. and a an office, essentially, yes, this it'd be right up your street. Love it. Actually, I, it is right up my street. Having said that, do you know what, Dave? I reckon that what, you Willow? could write an article about that picture because only maritime historians have written it and maritime historians don't think about things Ooh. like desks and social spaces so you mean and paper. The materiality of writing, Sam. That's exactly what That's I mean, exactly. James. Have you written any books on that? Uh, five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look. Um, the point about this is, is um, this is uh, kind of, uh, let's just say mid-16th century, all sorts. This is from a book called Fragments of Ancient Shipwrightry, which is preserved in the Pepys uh, collection in um, in Cambridge, one of the, the Magdalen College. Magdalen College, thank you. And so one of the things that the Tudors got very good at, as well as shrinking portraits, they learned how to shrink ships. Now this might sound a bit bonkers, but bear with me. So previously, when ships were built, they were built at the site of construction. They weren't designed anywhere. Designed at the site of construction. It was a physical process. They had a kind of very rough thing called a rule of thumb, and it was all to do with very basic proportions. A lot of it was done by eye. And this meant that... It meant all sorts of things, actually. It meant it was almost impossible to replicate a ship mm. because you can't build the same ship twice. Because, right. Unless you've got exactly the same person being there, but even then it's going to be slightly different. The Tudors started to understand the mathematics of ship design sufficiently well to design a three-dimensional, three-dimensional enormous warship on a piece of paper. Hmm. And that's really, really cool because it actually allows you to then, it takes this whole design process away from the shipyard into offices. And it means that you can then have frank and open discussions with people who are not necessarily at the location of, of building or who don't necessarily know very much about building. It, it, it basically starts to really professionalise and expand the whole world of ship design and construction. Mm. So um, this is, it's not the earliest, but it is one of the earliest paper manuals on how to design ships. And it's all to do with the mathematics of it. Um, there are, if you look very closely on this, you can see there's a scale down one side. Yes. Um, you can see uh, there's areas for mathematics, there's areas for equations. Um, that's another... Goodness me, it, that it, is incredible. What's the date of that? Um, that's about the same same, same month, so circa fifteen eighty six, just before the Armada. But look, top left. So here, here we've got a, a huge Tudor galleon, yeah. and underneath it is imposed the body of a fish. So although this is starting to get mathematical, yes. at the same time they're drawing inspiration from nature. It's classically Tudor. It's kind yeah. of it's half half scientific and half thought through, and half hocus pocus nonsense. Yeah. So they've designed it in the shape of a fish because fish swim quickly. Yes. Sort um, of aquadynamics. Aqu- and what's interesting is somebody has also done their. Sums. They've done the sums arithmetic. on it. So this uh, collection is—it's a working document. It's a an area for doing maths. Here he's uh, what he's multiplied sixty by twenty-four, and then he's added on one hundred and twenty, and then he's added on two thousand eight hundred eighty, and he's left with one thousand seventeen thousand two hundred eighty, which means something. God knows what. Um, so there you go. It's a working document. It's one of the most interesting historical documents I've ever seen. Um, it's some of the paper is thin, some of the paper is thick. Uh, some of it's like kind of pasteboard, 
Yeah. Um, it's kind of a big sort of jumble of stuff all together. Some of it's got drawings on, some of it has mm. just got scales on, some of it's just got um, equations on and actually mathematical workings. So it sounds like a miscellany. It is. So like different different sheets tipped in so you'd stick it in as a sort of composite volume that's right and, and yep. samuel peeps some when he was secretary of the navy he got it and then he preserved oh. it and he gave it the title so it wasn't called fragments of okay. Preparatory. that's the title invented by peeps right um but anyway it's um it, so he's presumably bound it collected it and then bound it in as his collection absolutely brilliant yeah and, and this is this is the one example of the tudors becoming very very good at shrinking things making things smaller excellent huh. Dolls' houses okay. is where I want to go next. Nice. Um, my daughters have the most beautiful dolls' house that I, I bought them uh, one Christmas. Uh, full of, it's three stories, it's uh-huh. got all sorts of rooms in. Um, but for a long time, dolls' houses were not merely toys. We think of them nowadays as sort of as, as toys, heirlooms that would be passed down from generation to generation. Uh, the Barbie industry got hold of them and and sort of glammed them up yep. and made them sort of ostentatious with helicopter pads on the top and all sorts of things. My wife's mum had a doll's house, which she was going to give us when my daughter was born. Um, and I remember it... And hasn't? Thing, no, no, it got complicated and it right. never happened. But the... Um, like a space. The, the, the point is, I think, that for her, the passing down of the doll's house was more yep. important than yep. the playing yep. of it. It didn't matter if B never played That's with it. it. Um, it's that it's that it's that standard kind of heirloom that would pass down a matrilineal line. So it would pass from mother to daughter. Oh, we're doing mothers. Um, we are um, doing. We're doing mothers very, very, very soon. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, mothers get, and mothers and relics. Yes, all very similar. Anyway, um, um, this is very similar. But the, these 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 um there there was a time when these were not. I mean, they are heirlooms, but they were not toys. So these were sort of little miniature cabinets of curiosity yeah so they were sort of replicas of 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 proper houses and we have the most wonderful collections around the world of them the victorian albert museum in their museum of childhood we've done childhood has the most wonderful collection of antique and historic dolls houses um over christmas i saw uh, the Miniaturist. Do you see The Miniaturist, which is a yeah, I know TV show based on the novel by Jesse Burton. I, I've, um, I've read her most recent one, which I loved, but I haven't read The Miniaturist. The Miniaturist, the, uh, the, the adaptation of this for the, for the, the screen uh, was, was amazing. Uh, a sort of slightly sort of spooky uh, story, but it's based on a real-life doll's house based in, which is held in Amsterdam in the, in the Rijksmuseum there. Um, which was associated with the Dutch woman, uh, Petronella Oortman. And I have a picture of it here for you. If you Google uh, Petronella Oortman. How do so I Oortman. Uh, my my uh, Dutch pronunciation is probably awful there. Nadine Ackerman, if you're listening to this, you should correct my, my pronunciation there. It's double O-R-T-M-A-N. Okay, yeah. And it is the most ornate doll's house you can imagine. Whoa. Okay, so this is it here. The, you the can the, des- you're the, good at describing these things. We will, the one in the Rijksmuseum. This is the one in the Rijksmuseum. Yeah. We okay. will put... This is going to go up on our website. <laughs> wow. Right. This is... Super bling. It's a doll's house on legs to start with. It's got yep. one, It's got one, two, three, four, five, six. It's got eight legs. 
yep. um, which which is important, I think, because it it you need to have the doll's house at a, at the height of a child. Yes. So but th- this would not be for a child. So this would be for an an adult. For an adult to yes. appreciate. Oh, that's yes. Okay. Well, e- either way, it's not on the floor, and it, yep. it's it's got its own way of supporting itself. There are one, two, three, four, five, six major rooms. Um, there's a smaller. There's a on either side. There are smaller rooms in the middle. Um, the rooms are all elaborately decorated with wallpaper and soft furnishings and hangings. One's got a mural. One's got a bed. Um, or, but two of them have got beds. I can't quite see what that is, but they've got tiny chairs. The sort of kitchen or the parlour is fantastic. It's got loads of with a sideboard of, with plates loads and of plates. There's uh, a clock. Is that a clock on the wall? Yep. This cost a fortune. A fortune, an estimated thirty thousand guilders, yeah. which is the equivalent of buying uh, a house on a canal, <laughs> an actual house, <laughs> yeah, and, like a real house. <laughs> so the, the the craftsmanship that's gone into this, this is very similar to the portraiture that we were talking about, the miniatures that we were talking about in part one of Shrinking. Yeah, the skill that's gone into rendering this, uh, absolutely phenomenal. I love that. I love that. Um, and so, how popular was this whole business? I mean, this is collecting. This is this again. This isn't. This isn't. Ugh. We're talking social elites. It's an expensive hobby, but enough enough family enough family houses like this uh, exist. I think it's more. This is different from the kind of sort of doll's house that would be in almost every child's yeah you know playroom or bedroom or whatever as you might have nowadays. You know, the one thing that you buy a, that you buy a daughter. Uh, or, a, or a, you know, it's the equivalent of a fort or a castle, yeah. uh, if we can gender things in that way. But it would be, it would be, it would be, it wouldn't be as common and prevalent as it is today. And the examples that survive, you know, because you've got to think about this from a sort of museological point of view. So from the perspective of collecting, somewhere like the V&A, the Victorian Albert Museum, collects, and, and the Ricks Museum, they collect fine examples that are you know that are representative of of a of a craft or or in this case absolutely exceptional yeah um so that's great have you got anything more um i i we've kind of run out of time a bit but i was okay. going to at least um draw people's attention that a really important history part of the history of shrinking is the history of shrinking cities Ooh. um so here we're going to take this idea of the doll's house and kind of increase it i'm not talking oh we could have done model cities we could have done those um Yes, model Europe. Yes, oh, I love those. And let's do, let's come back and do Shrinking Three. The um, yes, not called the panoramas. What are they called? When you know you go to museums and you see. Yes, I know like exactly what you mean. I know exactly what. I mean. There's one in Exeter, in the Ram Museum. Yeah, there's one our uh, little tiny um, museum. Well, we should definitely do dioramas. I've really. I'm always fascinated by those. There are some wonderful ones in Chatham Dockyards, so 18th century naval dockyards. We know an enormous about amount about them because. These fabulous dioramas exist. I know almost nothing about them. No, but we, so we I will be. Out. I will be intrigued for you to teach me. Um, but I'm not actually talking about that now. I just want to very briefly highlight this phenomenon of cities becoming smaller, shrinking yes. cities, and um, just a handful of examples. Um, most famously is Detroit. Really? Yeah. So known as Motor City. Yes. Um, yes and yes, then yes. the uh, the the. the Motown. The economy collapses. Yep. 
It was also actually making steel instruments. It was weirdly all to do with Pearl Harbor as well. There's an explosion and stuff with the Second World War. They start making things. Loads of people arrive. Um, the city booms. Then it starts to collapse. And that's to do with the recovery of Europe and Japan after the Second World War. Um, and then uh, Motown itself just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And now it's a crazy wasteland. Have you been to Detroit? I have been to Detroit. Yeah, I used too. to live very near to Detroit in Michigan. I taught uh, in Michigan for three years. Oh, was that Ann Arbor? No, no, Ann Arbor is no Ann Arbor is in the is just close to Detroit now. I was in the middle of the hand. Um, okay. Um, um, anyway, so there there are also the New Orleans is another one. That's a city which started yep. shrinking before Hurricane Katrina in two thousand and five, but then has carried on shrinking uh, after it when eighty percent of the city flooded. Leipzig is another brilliant example, um, and that was because of the um, Berlin Wall. So it was on the it was on the eastern side, yep. the Soviet side. Yep. And production stops, and there's a kind of a massive economic fallout in Leipzig. So there are these different parts of the world where so you it's can kind of st- reverse urbanisation. Exactly, it's reverse yep. urbanisation, yep. and it's absolutely fascinating. And people are still kind of they don't understand. <sighs> Shrinking it. They cities. don't know why it happens necessarily. They know there's there are kind of all sorts of things going on around it, whether it's the Great Depression, whether it's the Second World War. But some cities shrink and they start to disappear. How creepy is that? Very creepy. Yeah. I, what we don't have time for uh, as well is um, micro-writing, oh, uh, which I've talked about yeah. a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of work that's been done about 16th, 17th century spies and and making secret letters really, really tiny that could be, you know, tucked up a sleeve yeah. or sort of popped in an egg or tucked in your... Um, tucked in your, in your collar. If you want to see an example of this... Um, we've talked about Nadine Ackerman's videos, Vimeos, before. She has a beautiful video of how to do a tiny spy letter. And it's a spy letter from the Dutch secretary, Constantine Huygens, uh, to Amelia von Solms, who was the princess consort of Orange. And he writes a letter to her detailing, you know, what's going on with her, with her, her husband and the movements of the army in in 1635 in the Netherlands, the Low Countries, uh, and it is it is sort of surreptitiously sort of sent to her. She then reads it quickly and tucks it into her sleeve. Uh, if you're interested in how this kind of thing would be written, uh, Nadine's video shows brilliantly how that works. And there's a, there's a, an elaborate history of micro writing. How would we find that video? We would find it Google letter locking. Ah. On Vimeo, Nadine Ackerman letter locking uh, a tiny spy letter. I don't have the website here. That's right, we'll be able to find it that way. Yep. Listen, everyone, thank you very much for listening to part two of our shrinking podcast. I've really, really enjoyed doing this. I and thought it, this was good. It was good, and I think there's more to be done because we mentioned tiny fleas and we mentioned dioramas, so we could do more, we did. more miniaturization and more, more miniature writing. Um, please leave us a review if you've enjoyed it and tell everyone you know um, we're trying to spread the word we've got some live shows coming up we've got a book coming up um, we've got a big new website which if it isn't launched yet it will be very soon historiesoftheunexpected.com very original and we are also on Twitter you can follow Sam at Sam Dr. Sam Willis you can follow me at James Daybell and you can follow the podcast on at Unexpected Pod we are we are enormously proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows. Um, that's it. See you soon. Bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.